0: The Numinous Podcast, with Carmen Spaniola.
1: Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the lekwungen speaking peoples. Those are the Songhees and the Esquimalt First Nations, colonially known as Victoria, BC, Canada this is part six of my seven episode miniseries on planetary magic and propitiation. As we're closing in on the end of this miniseries, we have two more episodes about Venus and then Saturn, and they bring such a juicy depth to our astro magic from the past week. It's easy to love working with Venus on Fridays. That which is under Venus has had I think we could say it's had a moment in the past couple, maybe decades, I guess, of New Age spirituality, because on the face of it, the law of attraction is very Venusian. But I spoke on Tuesday with regard to Mars about how there's more like basic face value ways we can work with a planet, and then there are more refined ways we could work with a planet. And what I think of that, what I mean is, it's like the difference between dating and being in a committed relationship. There's a place for both, for sure. Um, of course, like I, I, still I like to have fun with Venus, right, and keep it light. Sometimes she is just so attractive and alluring. Even just looking at the rose of Venus is captivating. The the Rose of Venus is sometimes known as the Petals of Venus or the Path of Venus. You've definitely seen it somewhere. It depicts the path that Venus takes in her orbit, in her eight-year cycle, I should say, from the perspective of Earth. So from a geocentric perspective, it makes this really lovely, elaborate flower image you often see it depicted in sacred geometry or on like new age knickknacks. I actually used it when I had a logo made for a project I was calling the Vanguard School of Radicalization, Vanguard Women School of Radicalization. Um, it just it just is really beautiful and. Um, I also, you know, I, I have this middle ground where it's not totally late. Like I, on Fridays, I have a meeting with myself. And sometimes I include my partner. And I call it finance Fridays, where I look at my money, where it's going. I consult my budget. I make necessary changes. I just try to keep the flow with wealth nice and smooth. And the reason is because Venus is said to cause things to be fertile and bear plentifully. So in that way, she's the goddess of prosperity. But my guest today, Kristen Mathis, has really helped me come to a more mature understanding of Venus. And I think I will be working with her slightly differently after this episode. I think I'll keep my focus on pleasure for sure. And I'll keep having sexy times on Fridays with my man. (laughs) And I'll keep finance Fridays date with myself for sure. But I think I'll also make sure that I'm consistent in asking Venus what she needs, what she'd like that day, because she is holding a lot, as you'll hear shortly. (laughs) My guest today, Kristen Mathis, is many things, truly a multi-talented individual And we are all so fortunate that she's dedicated herself to the translation of the Orphic Hymns, which overlight this conversation about Venus, Aphrodite, and astromagic. Kristen is a writer and poet, a teacher, an advocate. You You really must read her fascinating bio, which I'll link to in the show notes. She works from an animist, decolonizing, an ancestrally rooted practice. And I know you're going to see Venus in a new light after this conversation. Kristen, I'm feeling giddy. I'm so excited to talk about the Orphic hymns with you and to talk about Venus and planetary magic. I I just, I'm so thrilled you're here. So for folks who are new to your work, uh,
0: what identities do you lead with? Oh, well, thank you for having me. And I'm thrilled to be here. I think I identify first and foremost as a nerd Um, (laughs) and, um, you know, maybe reluctantly when I was younger and now wholeheartedly, Um, but I'm a scholar and devotee and those two things are both important to me. Um, I'm a single mom and a survivor of domestic violence. I, you know, it's important to acknowledge that I'm white, cis, um, female. Um, I have a lot of privilege in many ways. Um, something you can't tell by looking at me is that I grew up in Asia in a culture um, in Southeast Asia, in Borneo, in the 1970s that was heavily animus. So that really informs a lot of who I am and is something you really can't tell at all by looking at me. Um, yeah, so I'm, I, I think that pretty much covers covers the, the big ones. <laughs> it's
1: already fascinating.
0: <laughs> tell
1: us about your work with the Orphic Hymns and for folks who are new to that term, what are the Orphic Hymns?
0: Yeah, thanks. Um, So the orca hymns are a body of 87 hymns or poems to different planetary beings and atmospheric beings, gods, goddesses, daimones, which sort of like an intermediary being, spiritual being. And no one is really sure when exactly they were written. If you were to Google them, um, you'd probably find some folks saying that they were written anywhere from the second century AD to the fourth century AD, but there's been some very good scholarly work in France that puts them way earlier than that, or mm-hmm. at least the core of the material. Um, some very, there's a French scholar, Mara Velia is her last name, and she's traced Some of the imagery in there to ancient Egypt and to around 1300 BCE so we really don't know Um, (laughs) but they were written by whoever wrote them Uh, ostensibly is Orpheus this legendary figure from Greek myth that many people know the myth of him um, losing his lover, um, who's a Eurydice, and she dies and he goes back to the underworld to retrieve her and he um, comes back with her, having promised not to look back at her before they reach the overworld. But just as they surface, he turns around to offer her his hand and loses her because he promised Persephone and Hades not to look at her. So that's, if most people know Orpheus, that's the context they know him. Um, There's a lot of other myths about him that actually were more popular in ancient Greece. And one of them that's relevant here to the hymns is that he had a male lover who was the son of the north Wind and was in love with this boy, um, calais, and he was killed, and his Orpheus's grief for Calais was so great that he went off to the woods, took his lyre, and sang in the woods in the um to the animals and to the plants and stones, and that he was able to enchant with his songs all the different facets of creation. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And um, so, you know, there's a lot more to that tale, but for that reason, because of this more ancient myth of Orpheus and as this sort of like queer, muse-like singer, Um, he became associated with this body of poetry, or he was said to be the author of this body of poems that have to do with natural phenomena. Mm. Um, But it's really like the
1: Bardic tradition then. So just so people are clear, it's sort of like there's no one person who is Orpheus who wrote these. It's like we're attributing the genius or the spirit to Orpheus, but it was... Probably yeah. were these
0: performed, or were they just? Yeah, insane? so they would have been used. Yeah, they would have been used. We think um, by groups of individuals who were gathering for, for initiations into the Orphic mysteries, okay. meaning the mystery teachings of the sort that had to do with things that Orpheus taught about, which okay. were stones plants, animals, and stars, especially stars. But we have texts from the ancient world um, that are attributed to Orpheus that have to do with all the magical properties of stones, or mm-hmm. you know the different um, types of we have lots of depictions of Orpheus singing to animals, all these different wild beasts and how they could come together to listen to him. Um, we have a lot of archeological finds, they're little gold, um, sometimes they're called passports that they have inscribed on them um, instructions for how to navigate the underworld. Okay. And so the deceased would take them to the grave in their hand, holding these essentially sort of like GPS instructions for how to get through the underworld safely to Persephone and Hades and what to do there and what to say. So he was very much this figure of a shaman-like, bard-like, overworld, underworld journeying figure. And the hymns were used by groups of people who gathered to learn those mysteries. And the hymns probably were used over the course of a day or a night to sing and dance and magic summon, literally summon into being um, the different spirits that were being called on so that the initiates could gain wisdom and knowledge that would help them in the afterlife. Wow. So you
1: are, okay, I'm going to say some bold things here, but I just, it just is. So you are really um, pathfinding, pioneering, spearheading a renaissance, a revival, an Orphic revival (laughs) through your translations of the Orphic hymns. You had to learn ancient Greek. You had to learn (laughs) Latin. And tell us what, what for you personally in your own spiritual path seems to be calling you forward? Like, Mm -hmm. why this work what is important what is the you ahead of you who's willing you forward telling you you Mm -hmm. must do with this work
0: yeah um gosh that's such a good question I um I think there's sort of two ways to answer it one is that I because I grew up in an animist culture I had personally this um, as a young person a feeling of rupture not only did I lose contact with what for me as a child was my homeland in Borneo this very lush tropical rainforest place where I felt connected to the spirits of the land and then I was twonked down and you know I was joking with you earlier exotic suburban New Jersey um, <laughs> and felt this loss of connection Hmm. so that I think there's this part of me this child part of me that has always been seeking connection to the land and wary because I saw intact indigenous traditions and intact Hindu and Muslim and um Chinese folk traditions um because I knew that those things belonged to others if that makes sense i mean i I saw them as loving traditions embodied in communities growing up in southeast asia none of them ever felt like the right path for me and so i was always looking for something in in my own heritage broadly speaking that would speak to me and give me a relationship to the land and the spirits of the land and the spirits of the sky in the way that I had experienced sort of intuitively as a child mm-hmm. without going to somebody else's culture and saying mine, Yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's no, um, I do think just for the record, I do think there are ways to engage with other cultures respectfully and learn from them. I mean, that's what being human is about, mm-hmm. but so this is no knock on anybody who finds home in um in a in a different tradition but for me i was drawn early on to the ancient mediterranean world i was one of those little girls who was reading in the library books on ancient egypt and the greek myth and um and this is before rick rorden or any you know or like all the
1: yeah, so I'm sort of Jackson. like, is this a Gen X thing? Because yeah, all the Greek myths, all uh-huh. Egyptology books, all right. of that. Yeah. They <laughs> yeah. must have had like a heyday or something in the '80s. I Where?
0: swear so. <laughs> I, I think so, and and it wasn't like divert. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I like Harry. You know, I love Harry Potter as much as the next person, but like there, we weren't diverted into Harry Potter or Percy Jackson. Like there That's was just, right. just like Dolores Book of Greek myths. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I I loved that, and I think it was still, it was speaking to a part of me that was longing for that type of communion. So that's I think one way to answer that question. And then the other way is to say that spirit called me in very um, like knock me over the head ways that I couldn't have anticipated. Um, I began, um, you know, I, I had a career in education, and I had been translating on the side just because I enjoy the poetry of Sappho, and I wanted to read it in the Greek, and then I started, I translated her hymn to Aphrodite, that was really powerful to me, and then I translated her other, her second hymn to Aphrodite, and then I, you know, and I, it, I began to feel it like working in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Orphic hymns just sort of one day, I, I honestly can't even place exactly what it was, but one day they, it was just like, you should, when you're done with the Sappho, you should do the Orphic hymns it was just a thought and it wouldn't go away. And so then I translated the hymn to Hermes, found that hysterical. And just like really loved the wordplay and jokes in it. And then moved on to Aphrodite and I started having dreams and um, the insights that I couldn't claim as my own. Like, you know, one of them was I, I asked, you know, I woke up one day saying, huh, I wonder what the planet Venus is made of and if it has any relationship to the statues of Venus. And I looked it up and Venus is primarily made of basalt. Um, and I acting on a hunch went to the like, Googled the original sanctuary of Aphrodite in Cyprus. And lo and behold, the original stat- statue of Aphrodite was a stone not a carved stone an uncarved basalt like monolithic sort of looking stone that Whoa. supposedly was taken from the sea and Whoa. so they had this an iconic non sculptural black Whoa. rock i mean it's very venusian you look, you see this rock and you want to touch it it's like <laughs> and, but it's it's just a piece of basalt you know from a right. modern perspective and I don't know how to like. How did I know to wake up with that question and then find that correspondence? And wow. So yeah, I mean that's just and that has happened consistently with the hymns. With almost every hymn I've translated, something will just. It's like remembering. It's like remembering wow. something that I was supposed to do all along. And so with every hymn I translate, I get more and more sure. That this is what I'm supposed to do, and whether I make money at it or not, like I just it's like a crazy visceral drive now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I'm like a hungry ravenous beast. <laughs> yeah but I can
1: feel the current too there's like a current uh and maybe it's electric maybe it's something else but it's a flow that just feels like this inexorable kind of like yeah this is this thing is happening and so yeah you know get get on board because this wants to come through and it's coming through you how can we connect the orphic hymns to planetary magic
0: mm. And that is so easy, because <laughs> they were designed for planetary magic. Um, and I think that, you know, they've, they're they often used that way as devotional hymns in people's personal practice, often for a day of the week or a particular practice that you're undertaking. Folks will flip through if they have a copy of, a, of um, one of the other translations, which, by the way, I should say right now, um, I... I actually think the other translations of the Orphic hymns that are available out there are very good. Mm-hmm. They are going to give you the, um, I I admire Patrick Dunn's translation, um, which is one a lot of folks use. Athenosikos is a um, Greek author who has an English translation, and um, I, I really enjoy their work, and it's, very much at the um what i would call the first level or the mythological level of translation so they're taking if you were to just translate all the language as straight as you could that is they're accurate and and done in particular i I think has a really nice feel and good suggestions for how to use the hymn so Mm. um his like if you. I feel like folks often use, let's say, a book like his and find a hymn that resonates with what they're working on and read it in order to get to know the spirit or the god or goddess um, there a little better. And that's a wonderful way to do it. Um, on my Substack site, which is where I've been tr- publishing my individual translations of the hymns as I go through them, I'm Trying to get at the second or third levels of meaning of the hymn because they originally were written for astral worship. Mm. I mean, very explicitly. And the Greek, when you read them in the Greek, if you are someone who has read Greek astrological texts or Greek um, magical papyri, as one does. As one does, <laughs> but but I mean, yeah, you know, there are academics who specialize yeah. in this, right? I mean, I, yeah. I used to be one of them, but like, yeah, if you have that background, when you read the Greek in the original, you can see the um, the overlap of vocabulary and the punning or word play or multiple levels of meaning in mm-hmm. a single line, um, so. And, and when you look at those multiple levels of meaning, they're frequently talking about movements of the stars, mm-hmm. movements of the planets, um, the atmospheric conditions, right? Like the hymn to Raya is all about um, not just the wind, like the atmospheric wind, but our breath and the, the connection of our breath, of our soul, which in Greek is pneuma, um, and the atmospheric winds. So mm. the Hymn to Raya helps us understand when you get those different layers of meaning, you not only get to know her as a mythological figure, you know, she uh, rides a chariot pulled by lions, let's say, but you can understand what the chariot symbolizes, mm. what the lions symbolize, and why that's connected to our own breath why that's connected to the breath of the cosmos breathing spirit life into each human soul or mm. actually each soul period plant souls and animal souls and stone souls mm-hmm. um, so yeah that that would be an example of sort of a different level so by reading the hymn we can un- come to understand our place in the cosmos because the orphic um you know spoiler alert i'm going to give you the the you know one line version of the orphic mystery um the key uh mystery is that we are ch- children of earth and starry sky that we are kin to these other cosmic beings And literally, that was what, if you were an Orphic initiate, when you died and your soul descended down into Hades and you got to meet Hades and Persephone and they asked you to account for your life, you as an initiate would say, I am the child of earth and starry sky and my place. Is with my celestial kin. Mm. And they would, on hearing that, they would know that you had remembered who you truly are. And you could be released from the cycle of birth, death, and rebirth and be merged with the cosmos. Mm-hmm. Join the the all join join the stars.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's beautiful. I yeah. I don't know which post you have that in, but I'm gonna make sure to mm-hmm. link to it in the show notes because in the last I think I came across it, it just before I went on quest, so it must have been like mm-hmm. a, a month or six weeks ago or something like that. That line where you say like I am child of earth and starry sky, my family is heavenly. That's been mm-hmm. my amen in my planetary practice for the last while. It's just like a recitation of that is like that's how I close it because that sense of having a signal to to say, like I remember, I remember I've been like devoting myself to this moment of being able to cross over with some level of um yeah, just remembrance or or my love, my devotion has some form and it comes out in this song. It comes out in this words and I'll have a thing I can present on the other side <laughs> to yes. say, I love yes. you. I've loved you forever. I'm so glad to see you. Yeah, you know,
0: that's exactly. Thank you. That is so beautiful. I love that. I love, I love adopting that as an amen. Um, and, and I think that they would have probably really liked that the Orphix, <laughs> you know, the Orphix I would imagine. Yeah. That, that feels right to me. Um, beautiful. because it, it, it is, it is this it's sometimes it just makes me cry how beautiful it is that we're we are we're children of earth and sky we always have been and even when we forget and that's the language they use right that the the people who um who forget who we who they are who we really are we're cut off Mm -hmm. we're cut off and we're 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 not able to, um, merge or, or join our celestial family. And I Mm -hmm. feel like that's sort of where we are as a, as a, the human race right now,
1: Mm -hmm. many of us,
0: or rather, I think a lot of us do long for connection and the powers that be in keep us, you know, Mm -hmm. in a state of Mm non-connection, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I find like the Orphic hymns are really a beautiful medicine for our time because mm. it's not just, they don't just affirm the longing that we have. They also say, look, you it was never lost. Mm. It's, a, it's always been here. It's as simple as connecting to a plant, an animal stone, a star or the sky, the clouds, you know, your pet, it's its all, mm-hmm. it's its right here in front of you. It's nothing. And that's, that's the, another beautiful thing to me about the hymns is that it's not this like woo woo thing over there. Mm-hmm. It's really simple and ordinary. Really and
1: imminent, (laughs) like it's coming out of everything. It's like literally right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and other occult books, I'm thinking of um, one that Eliza Robertson said at the beginning of this mini series, she referred to the three books of occult by Agrippa. There are many Mm -hmm. other books though as well that talk about the importance of speaking aloud our love and Mm -hmm. our devotion. And so I really appreciate your role in bringing alive these, these prayers of praise and humor and connection Mm -hmm. and just like real, like bringing the personality of these Mm -hmm. planets and these elements alive in this way so that we have words that do feel um, like a remembrance or like they, they actually, it feels natural for me to say I Mm -hmm. am child of Earth and starry sky, (laughs) you know, like like the most natural thing in the world. And I don't know why I didn't come up with that phrase on my own, but look, it has this ancient origin and you're making it more accessible. So I really appreciate that aspect of my, my worship. I, I even teach this all the time that if you, if you're only praying in your mind, the kind of metaphor of that is that you're the all-powerful. Like you're not speaking mm-hmm. it out. you know, it's like, no, no. If mm-hmm. you believe that we live in this participatory universe and that there are mm-hmm. other beings, and like this is the way that humans have to express, mm-hmm. then then expressing that is a way of saying, like, you're so big, I'm so small. <laughs> I'm I'm, yeah, you know, asking for your attention because I love you. And, um, then we let the the um other beings, the other than human, respond in their voice, which might be the wind or might be the water. But you're giving us mm-hmm. something that humans can tap back into that is our special expression, one of
0: them. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to add on to that, um the Orphic, along with Pythagoreans um, and ancient Greeks. Believe very strongly in the power of the spoken and sung word. Orpheus sang his poetry. A hymn or a poem in ancient Greek was sung to the lyre. And so they believed, um, that the vibrations and the vowel sounds in particular of the, um, of the language would create resonances in the atmosphere and connect with the resonances of these other divine beings so um for example the the cry used in the worship of apollo is ea so they would shout that or sing that ea ea there would be songs and then the, these two vowels mm-hmm. the iota and the eta would be intoned as a connection to apollo wow you know and um Dionysus had a different cry, or uh, you know, different gods and goddesses had other ways of evoking them, or certain modes of music that were associated with them. So there was very much a um, an understanding, which of course we now know through science, of the wave particle phenomenon. Hmm. You want to um, <laughs> you know you want to change the energy. Do some sound and breath work, get those vibrations going and coordinate it with where you want to be. Mm. Amazing. So
1: let's focus more specifically on the planet Venus. Mm -hmm. What does Venus represent? Um, What does Venus rule or relate to? And of course, I'd love to hear what is your personal
0: relationship with Venus like? Mm. So um, I'm going to focus on Venus in the Orphic hymns, if that's... Sure. Okay, is that all right? Okay, because I feel like um, she's so enormous, we could, you know, talk about her forever. (laughs) Um, So in the Orphic hymns, Venus is both the planet Venus and the figure of heavenly Aphrodite. And heavenly Aphrodite in traditional Greek myth is uh, associated with the version of Aphrodite where she's born from the foam of the mm. sea and she emerges on a shell and often she has a cloak covered with stars that she's holding over her shoulders um, and so that heavenly Aphrodite figure the Orphix believed was the same as the highest form of Zeus and the highest form of the all. Mm -hmm. So heavenly Aphrodite is the one, capital O, the all, capital A. And the reason why they believed this was because Aphrodite is the force of union. Mm -hmm. So she is the what unites us and the attraction of things. And they understood this in a fairly literal way. Mm-hmm. So I like to compare it to our concept of gravity and black holes, right? Okay. Where Aphrodite is what pulls you in and things in, in pulls people together in love, pulls animals together, you know to mate um, to procreate pull but also pulls molecules together pulls bodies in space together so aphrodite the tendency is in mm. and they um they believed that if you had nothing that basically Aphrodite left to herself is just it's like a black hole it's like there's nothing there's no room for anything else things can't be separate because she is so united and so that's like when we think about the planet Venus and we think about how Venus is associated with love with erotic desire with Um, things that attract us, whether that's jewelry, makeup, pretty clothes, um, on a deeper, more esoteric level, that's because Aphrodite is drawing, this force of drawing in. Mm -hmm. So that's one way to think about um, Venus. The Orphic also thought of her in a second way which comes out of the first right so when things get drawn together like this in order for anything to exist you have to have another force that helps separate things just enough so that we get discrete objects and Mm. bodies floating in space and molecules that are attached but you know i i'm different than the table Mm. um And that force they called necessity or fate. Hmm. And Aphrodite is the mother of necessity. (laughs) So when you have the all like this, you have the black hole. um, At a certain point, this is just so interesting to me that it's true in physics too, right? But at a certain point, it collapses in on itself and explodes. Mm-hmm. Right, you get the neutron if you think about contemporary astrophysics but you have Aphrodite doing this you have then necessity or fate birth this separation and they said without necessity everything would collapse in on itself and it, we would all be one giant sun. we'd be one giant ball of fiery energy mm-hmm. so fate Aphrodite has to birth fate hmm. to keep each thing in its place, and when we think about astrology, this is really evocative to me, right? Because now the birth chart becomes a way to read. Okay, yes, it re- we're reading your fate in the sense of the things that happen to you, but it gives. It's like a little snapshot of the forces of Aphrodite and necessity how they're balanced in your mm-hmm. particular life mm-hmm. you know and we can read the chart to get a better sense of our individual place where we're held by mm-hmm. faith in the all in Aphrodite wow. which is that's deep that really you know? is it's, and it's a beautiful. <laughs> way
1: to look at astrology it's it really is it's a very poetic way to look at like what are we actually doing here so we have this like urge to connect or this urge to incarnate however you want to put it it's like I'm gonna become like tangible but Mm -hmm. I'm bound by these Mm -hmm. forces and I have a certain amount of like will, and desire that Mm -hmm. makes me, that, that helps me to interact with these things. Yes. Yes. I
0: love that. That is so well put. And we see, just to get back to Venus here, we see all those associations with the planet Venus, right? Of course, there's the erotic associations um, and procreation, right? But we also get, um, we get an understanding of Venus as potentially producing some discomfort too, right? If you love something Mm -hmm. and you lose it, you, you grieve Mm -hmm. and grief is a face of Aphrodite. That Mm -hmm. comes through in the myth of Adonis, um, you know, where she grieves her young love Mm -hmm. and, you know, really, that That myth, I think, is all about love that cannot um, love that persists beyond death, beyond the grave. And whether we lose a loved one or thing to death or whether we lose them through a breakup or some other circumstance, if if you think about what it feels like to grieve, Mm. and And I say this as someone who you know i just lost a my love, my beloved last year to not will be the first anniversary of his death in august oh um I'm so, so sorry i've to hear this that. is real thank you, but it's um you know it was it was a it really gave me an intimate understanding of how grief is related to love mm. because when you've lost someone it's like you're still it's like I'm still dwelling in the relation in the in the Aphrodite mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. the desire to see someone who you lost the desire to behold them again but it's necessity is keeping us apart Mm -hmm. And, you know, many of us have the belief that we will be reunited with our loved ones after death. So there's this way in which it all still takes place Mm -hmm. within the sphere of Aphrodite. Mm -hmm. And that was really helpful to me as I grieved him, because It gave me a way to think about my emotions. I mean, of course I cried my eyes out and had my up days and down days, you know, not trying to romanticize it, but it really did help me move through that grief because Mm -hmm. I was able to see my sadness as an expression of love. Mm -hmm. And then that in itself was almost a consolation. Yeah. that um and and I could continue to talk to him about it you know like mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. the way that one talks to people who have passed you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so yeah there's that they the Orphic associated that grief for loved things loved ones for I think in our case right now we could apply it to climate grief right? Mm -hmm. The grief of having lost something or longing for something that you feel like you might never get. Mm -hmm. Those are all expressions of Aphrodite.
1: Wow. Because,
0: yeah. And that I think is, you know, there's been a lot of activist work done recently, like Adrienne Marie Brown and others have talked about pleasure activism and activism that comes out of what you're looking forward to, and out of enjoyment, and out of joy, and I think Aphrodite—that's a perfect expression of that side of Aphrodite. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm feeling a lot of climate grief, so I'm gonna go sit with my anise hyssop plant in my garden and watch the bees pollinate. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, very <Phoenician>. You know? <laughs> yeah, for um, sure or take a walk and notice all the sparrows who happen Mm -hmm. to be Aphrodite's bird in Mm -hmm. Greece. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've been, I now am so attuned to sparrow song when I walk down the busy streets in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And that's, so there's, there's that face of Aphrodite too. Mm -hmm. And, and in Venus, you know, because I think Venus is a benefic and it's, really easy to relate to all the stuff that feels good but let's face it a lot of time love doesn't feel good yeah yeah
1: totally totally and so (laughs) there's this is a beautiful way to um complicate our relationship Mm -hmm. even with with Venus and with with pleasure itself by keeping Mm -hmm. that ever present that like it's the all And so fate is involved in in what as well. And I'm feeling even just like thinking about that, it's like, oh yeah, there's a certain kind of like preciousness then when you're like, Mm -hmm. it's not always, it's not always good like this. And maybe also a bit of, um, like you said, the word consolation that it's like, Mm -hmm. and when I'm in my grief, because I've loved so dearly, um, Mm -hmm. Venus can also be so beautiful. And, you know, the sun is still rising. The morning star is still there, you know? Yeah.
0: Yes, means. exactly. Exactly. And so she's called, you know, she of the beautiful countenance, right? Like she has a beautiful face. That's her morning star, um, you know, evening star, that beautiful twinkling you get. And she's often also called, um, there's a lot of language of binding and fetters and chains, mm. right? Because she, when we are attracted to someone or something, it's like there's this invisible bond that we get with them and that can be good and it can be really painful. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be, yeah, it can be really hard to negotiate those, those bonds. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so there's a way in which they, You know, the hymn to Aphrodite spends a lot of time, the Orphic hymn, um, on these different types of bindings that she can work. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, historically, that relates to Aphrodite's role in love potions and love magic, um, which can be pretty and can also be pretty nasty, Right. you know? I mean, if you think about it, like you're trying to cast this net or this chain around somebody who maybe doesn't want to be captured, um, you know, like love potions are a little... They're, they're double, double-edged. Right.
1: Um, you know. right. So what would you say, if I can ask this, like, so then I'm kind of getting the sense that there's like some magic that you would be more inclined to do than others. <laughs> and some mm-hmm. magical working. So what would you, first of all, is Friday like a big day for you at, at your house kind mm-hmm. of thing? And, and second, what is your personal planetary magic practice? What does that look
0: like? Yeah. Um, well, I'd say, overall, I'm, you know, I'm a simple girl. <laughs> I'm a, I mean, I tend to be very simple in my devotion. Um, I, I do have little planetary altars around my house. My house is a studio apartment. So when I say I have <laughs> planetary altars, I mean, like, I have a tiny little thing over here and it's Venus. And then over there is Mars. And over there is Jupiter. Mars likes to sit near the coffee grinder, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, You know, makes sense. (laughs) But I wouldn't have thought to do that until he nudged me. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so I have these little sort of mini shrines around my space. I do sometimes do incense. I do offerings. I tend to make my offerings just things that I happen upon in my daily life. If mm-hmm. I find a stone or a flower or um, I'm making tea um, for myself that I think the deity would enjoy, I'll put it out. But I'm not um, at this stage in my practice. I'm not very like rigorous about it. And some of that is because I'm generally like a sort of spacey person. I live in the clouds half the time. <laughs> um, I'm like the classic absent-minded professor type, you know? <laughs> so some of it is that I'm just, you know, that's just me. But some of it is also because as I've worked with the hymns, it's like they live in me. Mm. And so Yeah, I do. Like, you know, I'm wearing Venus's color today. Um, And I do love Fridays and I love remembering, actually every day I like remembering the planetary deity and sometimes in some way consciously incorporating them into my day. Um, But I am not an expert in reconstructing you know let's say elaborate magical working mm-hmm. which is interesting because you, I could be you know that's what I <laughs> did a lot of my grad study in um but to me I'd, I'd rather sit and watch the bees on my hyssop flowers right you're and an animist it's <laughs> like just yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's just like Share that moment with Venus when I'm in it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Or or totally. if I'm devoting, I, I sometimes, if I have time or if it feels like I need to, I'm getting the nudge, I'll go down to the beach, the beach being Coney Island and Brighton Beach. And um, I'll just walk the length of the beach and back mm-hmm. and dedicate that to to Aphrodite. Mm, that's um, beautiful yeah so it's really simple and I'd like to encourage other people to be as simple as they want like I haven't found any detriment in being simple Mm,
1: I love that what what about certain times like is there anything you pay attention to like if like retrograde or Mm -hmm. Kazimi, Venus Kazimi, like are there yeah. sort of special times where you're like eh, and then I kind of like up the ante a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd say that like I um I do keep track of the movements of the stars. I mean, you know, Venus among them. Um and I I do when I I try to just listen, mm-hmm. honestly. That's the main I, actually that's that's the ma- my main devotional Chris. I just try and listen.
1: Mm.
0: If I, if a particular retrograde or Kazemi seems to be speaking to me, I listen, I, I, I take the time to listen and I'll journal or I'll um, set up a maybe something slightly more formal. But even then it's not, it's not terribly formal. Like, um, what I'm, what I definitely do is I time whenever I can, I time my translation mm. to not very precisely because I translate every day, but I'll, if I, you know, like I've been working on Aphrodite in advance of the retrograde and mm. Um, I worked on Mercury in advance of Gemini season. and So Mm -hmm. sort of like to prepare and um, be able also to help other people then Mm -hmm. by publishing them. And and the translation work, I think, is my biggest form of devotion. Mm -hmm. Because when I'm translating, I am in it like it's so present for me and it's so i can feel the the spirit nudging me this way and that um so yeah and in general with retrogrades i like to ask this this idea came to me through mercury but i've since applied it to other planets um i once asked mercury what he wanted or like what it was like to be in retrograde and he was like it's really hard to run backwards (laughs) (laughs) which is like such a silly mercury answer you know um (laughs) and so i i thought well then maybe i should just like be extra nice to you during this period Mm -hmm. and like yeah it's you know and and i thought about venus retrograde that way too is I think of retrogrades as being periods where the planets are experiencing some sort of discomfort. I don't know. This Mm -hmm. is intuitive. And I am not claiming this is necessarily what the Orphix thought. But to me, intuitively, it's like, I like to ask them, what do they need? Mm -hmm. Um, How can I help? Yeah. And. Sometimes I get a very clear answer. Um, sometimes, <laughs> this is, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. <laughs> but So just uh, with Mercury, he gave me such a silly answer. Like then when I asked him what he needed, it was like, well, you could eat, give me some extra food and I want you to like do your like your little movements that I sometimes feel like I'll do like a little salutation or a sun salutation or something. I want you to do them backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so i don't want you to really show me that you get me
1: i want to feel seen
0: <laughs> oh, that. And, um, you know i i haven't done that with any other planet um but like with with venus this this retrograde i'm sort of on a personal level i'm sort of hunkering down mm-hmm. um I've had a lot of grief in the past year and it's going to coincide with the anniversary Mm. of, um, you know, my boyfriend's death. And um, I feel like my work this year is going to be very much around grief, the Adonis myth. Um, Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. I may, you know, I don't want to promise anything, but I'm, I'm thinking of trying to work with that productively by maybe writing on it or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe doing a podcast in my sub stack or something like that on the mm-hmm. face of Aphrodite. Mm-hmm. That's very personal to me. I'm not saying that's what this retrograde it, is going to be for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I usually try to ask and that's what's coming to me.
1: Mm, mhm mhm i that's such a beautiful um expression of devotion is to ask what do you need and also just to acknowledge and recognize like oh this this planet's on the struggle bus right now like <laughs> I'm, you know like i'm i'll i'll get in there with you like i you know like right. it's just it's it's more of a a collaborative approach right yeah. it's like this thing is happening and it's inevitable and you know it it just sounds very empathetic so, I appreciate that as a way that we can work with those kind of like stickier times when a planet isn't in its kind of place of power. It's not in its flow.
0: Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's a
1: very Venusian,
0: right? Like, it's yes. like, how do I get in there with you? How do I make it, you know, nice <laughs> and comfy for you? It's like, um, but I, I, I did get that um, sort of initial impulse. To ask and to nurture from the Orphic hymns, because mm-hmm. um, in several places they use this metaphor of nursing or being a nanny figure. Um, Dionysus has nanny figures. Mars has a very um, kind but firm nanny. The, in the moon is Mars's nanny um, mm-hmm. for the Orphics and. So I try. I I realize that seems to be how the Orphics want to work with um, planets that are in their fall or having a retrograde or in some way um, not expressing themselves helpfully. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was Kira from astrology who who said that she read the my essay on Mars and coined the verb moon nanny as in to moon nanny somebody (laughs) which means like to bring a like nurturing but no nonsense vibe right Mm. and like that's that's something that I also think can be helpful when thinking about let's say this upcoming Venus retrograde if folks are nervous about it you know or even if you're not nervous but you're just not sure how to deal with it number one ask and number two when in doubt adopt an empathetic but no nonsense attitude. <laughs> I love that I love that
1: I love it so what about rage like how, how would Venus support us when we feel rage I'm thinking about like there must be times when you are like this isn't fucking fair like no yeah. no 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 i don't i don't want this lesson um, how yeah. can how can venus how would how might we work with venus or um what would be a venusian approach to
0: rage mm-hmm. i think i'd go back to the work of adrian marie brown and pleasure activism i think that there's a type of rage that is about building worlds we love you know there's a rage because we don't have what we want and not in a, a spoiled brat I'm not getting that you know diamond necklace but it's like I'm not getting healthcare, yes. <laughs> you know or you know or the this systemic Racism and um, you know late capitalist oppression, white supremacist, corporate. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I just state is killing my people, killing us. Um, that that martial energy, when it's met by Venus
1: mm-hmm.
0: and turned towards and building a world that we want to live in is really powerful Mm. and we actually get that in the Orphic hymn in the Orphic hymn to Mars um Mars is sort of out of control and doing very Mars-like violent things and we get this command in the hymn stop turn aside your rage an end to strife instead go and he's offered choices right he can go party with Dionysus or he can co- go lie with Aphrodite or he can go get nannied by his moon nanny Um, and he's given these choices because one of the most powerful ways of dealing with out of control rage or strife or um violence whether it's violent feelings in ourselves or violence you know in this that's coming at us is to meet it and channel it with a vision of what we want now i'm not claiming that we have to roll over and accept what's coming at us, but mm-hmm. if we think of it even like restorative justice where you meet the the person who's wounded you and meet them in a in a contained, safe, um, held space, you know, mm-hmm. um, with an account of how they've wounded you. And then there's a restoration process to build a future that we both want to and can live in. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to me to be a very Venusian offering to rage as well so yeah i mean that might be you know there's also maybe a practical suggestion for the venus retrograde um i did a restorative justice training a few years ago um and i'd highly recommend it to anybody who wants to deepen their work with venus because it is so practical in that very Martian, Martial way of like, or Saturnian even way of like, okay, this is a structure of how you guide this Mars energy and turn it into something collaborative. So that would be a great way to spend your Venus. Retry. I love that suggestion. It's such a, <laughs> It
1: really brings alive why Venus is associated with justice. hmm That they, you know, love and justice going together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for deepening the relationship with Venus and expanding my, I guess my perception of her as um, real and ever present. Like I, I'm really understanding the all so much better. Yeah. It's not just the, the the gorgeousness and the beauty and like that kind of mm-hmm. hopeful aspects that, that of course- love and rage and love and grief and uh, mm-hmm. love and justice all go together. So this has been really excellent. And thank you for your work with the Orphic Hands. Oh. I look forward to so much thank more. You. Thanks for being here, Kristen.
0: Thank you so much. It was my pleasure.
1: I love how she just anchored that entire conversation with the word pleasure. <laughs> it was so fantastic. That conversation made me feel a really wonderful sense of belonging to the mystery. I'm really, I think I'm going to feel the resonant energies of this conversation every time I speak, amen, with, I am a child of earth and starry sky, my family is heavenly. Which is a phrase I know I learned from Kristen's writing, but I think the actual post may be Behind the Substack paywall because I couldn't find it with just like a a, a Google of the um, public facing things, but I will link to other posts she's done in the show notes where she refers to that line and how to work with the Orphic hymns. And I know there's a few from back in February of 2023 during a period of Saturn and Pisces where she cites that phrase, "I am a child of Earth and starry sky," and then a line where she writes in her own words, My prayer for this season of Saturn in Pisces is that it be a calling for us to let ourselves fall into the arms of the waiting cosmos and be restructured there. Mm, so beautiful. I'll also link to Kristen's very sexy translation of Sappho's hymn to Aphrodite. It's it's a little breathless, almost kind of forceful, but in a very flirty petition to Aphrodite. Love it. I highly recommend you check out Kristen's substack called Mysteria Mundi. It's a collection of writing, both free and with paid upgrades. She also has a couple of really inexpensive classes related to our topics today that you can take on demand. Um, One is called Erotic Cosmos, the Orphic Hymns as Medicine for Our Times, and another one is called Planetary Personalities in the Orphic Hymns. So perfect for us. So that's on her Podia sites. This fall, she'll also rep open registration once again for her course, Star, an Orphic initiation for earth souls. It's a really beautiful, deep dive into the hymns and poetry, creativity, and magic. You'll find all the links in the show notes at numinouspodcast.com. My listener shout out today is to Vanessa. Vanessa, thank you. Vanessa left a beautiful review for my book, The Spirited Kitchen, over on amazon.ca. She wrote The Spirited Kitchen is a beautiful cookbook and soulful resource for my family, helping us find and return to a sense of belonging to place and a deepening integrity in our relationship with the land, plants, and all beings a family treasure we will return to and cook from year after year, season after season. Wow, deep. Thanks, Vanessa. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I'm actually being reminded of all the ways that my own family was put through such upheaval making that book, but it feels, at least for me, a little more worth it that it's had a positive impact on you and yours. So thank you for sharing that with me. If you're loving all this talk of planetary magic and are eager to add plants into the conversation, consider joining us in the Numinous Network. Planetary magic and propitiation is like our main jam in July and in August, we'll be working more closely with plants and their energies. I'd also love for you to just sign up for my newsletter so you're the first to know about upcoming events and offerings and, hey, even new books. Find out more about the Numinous Network at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.